You're listening to WNCP Marquette, home of the North Coast Post podcast. North Coast Post. Welcome back. Episode three is upon us, and our guest today is Jess Thompson, Associate Professor for Environmental Communication. That's a whole different type of communication when you're talking about our environment, I assume. It is. It's a lot of translation of science for different audiences. It's a lot of community engagement. It's communication, you know, as the traditional discipline, but with a real focus on the science and technical aspects. And I would imagine that's a very um, public relations-y game, isn't it? Yeah, it's... um, it's interesting. I got into public relations because I saw all of this slick advertising and design work being done by corporations. And I thought, why aren't we using those tools to promote sustainable living and sustainability and the environmental causes, um, as well as environmental awareness? So most of my work has been about climate change, public understanding of climate change. In your experience, how valuable has that high-end design and those elements of visual communications helped get the message out there? Are people receptive? I think so. I think that we are such visual, tactile creatures. Um, A lot of my most recent work has been with place-based communication about climate change with the national parks and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So being at a, visiting a natural site, if you can talk to someone about the impacts of climate change you see and have a conversation that then inspires you to get more information instead of being lectured at or told by some media pundit Mm -hmm. that this is the case or this isn't the case, um, I think that's more productive for people than any sort of like, flashy print media. That said, I I think all communication needs to evolve with with the times and having a more dynamic visual presence never hurts. It right. never hurts. Yeah. But I can't imagine there's any substitute for actually getting somebody there in the environment where they can look around and smell and appreciate what what the message is. Absolutely. Uh, One of my favorite anecdotes is I was uh, working with Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado, and I had this group of people, their specialty was like conflict resolution and mediation, and um, had organized this field trip through the park to talk about the impacts of climate change. And we got to this campground. Um, I don't even remember the name of the campground now. But we were listening to the ranger talk about the impacts and pine beetle kill and, you know, melting tundra and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, this is depressing stuff. Well, the woman next to me, I feel her hand on my shoulder and I look and she's just like, she's bawling and i'm like whoa this is emotional and immediately wilderness first responder okay is this altitude sickness like let's (laughs) sit down get you some water okay deep breath deep breath no it's emotional yeah and she looks at me and she's like i just wish i had brought my parents and i'm like you're 50 something where i'm like this is interesting you know and i just kind of like sit and 
Like, okay, yeah, your parents could help you. Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, my mom uh, yeah, help. yeah. The, well, and then uh, it came out that she had vacationed there as a child. Like every oh. other summer, they had met their cousins there, and she was from Florida. But this was a place that she remembered, and wow. it was part of her youth, and it looked entirely different because they literally had to like clear cut where all the pine beetle kill was or pine beetle infestation. Because it's a liability at a park that you have. Trees could fall. Exactly. And so then she said, they just don't believe in climate change. They don't believe it's an issue. If they were to see this, they could feel it. And I just was like, whoa, yes, this works. This is what we need to be doing. We need to be, well, one, the parks need to hire grief counselors to take take visitors through, uh, especially baby boomers that had this, you know, that classic canonical station wagon trip out west um yeah so i knew that story was interesting and i went around and kind of told it at a few different places alaska florida and i'm not kidding you i showed photographs like before and after of um glacier basin campground and um every time i had someone come up out of the audience and say we used to vacation there as kids i can't believe it you've ruined it for me like i'm sorry (laughs) i'm I'm just a messenger but but that really got me thinking okay how can we be more engaged with this conversation especially about climate change that's like that's my work right now okay and i mean in geological time one generation is a blink of an eye to see such a change between the time she was there as a kid and as an Mm -hmm. adult what does that tell us about the the curve? Yeah, and, and what might happen in the next generation? Yeah, 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 yeah. That this is so unprecedented. You know, I have young children. You do as well. <laughs> yes. There's that feeling like that crosses our minds, right? What kind of world are these guys going to be camping in and their, with their kids? You know? Exactly, and that I mean, honestly, that's what motivates me. I um, my mom used to say to me, "Oh, you're you're doing so much for the environment. You're my you know, you're my Prius. You're, yeah, I I get mm-hmm. out of jail because you're working on it." <laughs> and then I look at my children and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I have to like I have to really do something. I've, yeah. I've got to." keep working on this and so yes it's part of my career but i also i serve on the marquette county climate adaptation task force okay um it's great i get to hang out with these older whiter men who the uh, white men's club yeah and uh, there's a lot I, of those around here sure. um but once you get access you realize these are really passionate concerned okay. people and since they're retired, they have way more time to invest in some of these policy and research initiatives that, you know, I'm like trying to juggle like laundry, dinner, grading life. Oh, yeah. Um, So that has been really amazing. And I think this community in particular is it's at the ground level of making some substantial changes that could improve not just quality of life, right now but it could be a model community well that's what i picked up on when i was visiting a year and a half ago before we decided to move quite spontaneously is it felt like it's on the cusp of something and maybe that's a big part of what i was sensing so naturally i'm curious to how is marquette in this region way up here poised to be a, a leader in this field I honestly think that because of where we're located, we have this tremendous opportunity to showcase 
what I call rural resilience, that mm. we we don't need to depend on the infrastructure and the network of urbanized areas, that if we start generating energy here, um, manufacturing local goods, that we can really rely upon ourselves. And honestly, you know, I lived here before, went away, moved back. Um, that You're is the grabbing. spirit. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and I really think that's part of the culture of the Upper Peninsula, that, that we are resilient. We have always been resilient. <clears throat> and so in the face of more extreme weather events, um, wildfire, uh-huh. uh, changing growing season, that we've, we've pretty much been fearless in responding to those and being able to quickly adapt. And while mitigating impacts, we can also put new ideas forward. I just, yeah, uh, and I we really, still have trees. Yes, I mean, we're we still, still have trees and water, right. yeah, these important things. So um, I do feel that there's also a culture here that recognizes and values that. In the the Northern Climate Network, is that what you mentioned? Oh, I'm, um, I mentioned the, the Mar- yeah, I'm confused. Like, There's a lot, I've, a lot I've of groups. So okay, straighten, uh, straighten me out here. Okay, what, what, are, um, what are the groups here? So I, with the county, there's the Marquette County Climate Adaptation Task Force. Okay. And um, that's a group of decision makers, including a couple county commissioners, um, the county administrator, um, representation from the Superior Watershed Partnership, okay. and, and other local entities that yeah. manage resources and utilities. Um and out of that group, they said, you know, we really need an outreach. We need to start talking to the community okay. about these issues. And so I said, well, gosh, I work at a university. That's like what I do. So that was the birth of the Northern Climate I Network. See. So that came out of that under your and, guidance. Yeah. Ah. And so um, I went to a few officials at the university and said, what does it take? How can I start this? And they're like, here, go. Yeah. Start designing posters. Yeah. So we have had a series of climate talks at noon um, once a month, and they started in August. And now we've, our, I like to say, our network has grown to over 150 members. People come to these events, they sign up to, you know, get our emails. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we have just tremendous support from the community. I love, and this is, you know, I don't know who's listening, but community members can park on campus anywhere oh. and any legal spot between two yellow lines Bonus. without getting a ticket. If you're there to attend an event, a seminar, a talk, a class, you just, you know, you can either bring the ticket to me or go yeah. to parking services and say, hey, I was here for this event and they just rip it up. So okay. I feel like there's been this divide between campus and the community, um, just from my personal observations. And just in a lot in, of college towns. But yeah, it's pretty here. typical. People are like, oh, the noisy, loud college kids. Um, and they get a bad rap mm-hmm. being that university in the backyard. But we depend on and love them at the same time. It's it's a <laughs> it's, strange dichotomy. It is. It is. Um, so I've found with this network, these noon climate talks, mm-hmm. we've um, we've really like branched out. I don't know. We've we've built some relationships with community members, and they regularly come back. And um, in a couple of weeks, we'll have a few presenting on residential solar and renewable energy oh. for your home. Um, so I think it's it's just an exciting yeah. time to be here. There's several forces at play that are, I think, moving us into the 
a really exciting direction. So this community could be a, a leader from a national perspective? Definitely. It, with, with things like this network uh, up to speed. What is the biggest concern of, of people that attend these meetings? Um, I think the concern, I often feel like once we get to that discussion, Portion, they're like, so what do we do right now? What do mm-hmm. we do right now? And that's been the problem with the climate conversation all along. Doom and gloom, bad things are right. happening without PowerPoint yeah, or yeah. this em- empowerment. Did I say PowerPoint? <laughs> without a PowerPoint that outlines the key. No, with, without empowerment to help people feel like they can make a difference. Right. Because everything we do does add up. I. I mean, I remember going to different climate conferences, and I would get back in my car. I'm just like, oh, I should have, I should have ridden my bike here. I should have walked here. Yeah, uh, the guilt factor. Yeah, this guilt, and that's so unproductive. It's so unproductive. Right. But once you start building relationships and start talking to other people, oh yeah, I put this small solar array on, and I got this loan from my local bank, and you know, in ten years, I'll have it paid off. But uh, in that time, it's the exchange of my electric bill. So anyways, it's just great to get a sense of being around um, kindred spirits who understand that there are things they can do. Not mm. everybody's in the position to, like, put a solar array in their no, front yard. But they might be able to insulate their windows a little better. Exactly. It's the little things do add it's up. Little things, every little thing adds up. And more than that... Every little conversation about it, talking to um, neighbors about it, friends, relatives. You know, I've definitely started several uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinner conversations. Still a lot of deniers, uh, I mean, surprisingly, in this day and age. Yeah, and I realize now that that comes from a place of self-preservation. Because if I recognize that I'm contributing to the problem... That means I have to change my habits. I have to change my every day. And that change seems so foreign. People will think, oh, gosh, well, you got to be a vegan living in a cave riding, you know, your bamboo bicycle. <laughs> but that is not the case at all. Um, and, and so I think that helping model the ease of living more sustainably, the ease of what I like to say, lighter on the planet. I'm like, nice. I'm living lighter. Right. And, and that has so many benefits yeah. beyond climate. It doesn't sound like a burden. It sounds like relief, you know. Yeah. I like I like that. Now, uh, I heard, I'm not super clued into it, but rumblings of uh, wind farms coming up into the UP. Is that, are, are you keeping up on that story? I am not Keeping okay. up on that one, but I know there there are all sorts of rumblings of renewable energy. Um, be, with the closing of the Presque Isle power plant in our near future, I think that this is a tremendous moment of opportunity for this community. And we're on, we're, I mean, we're on the state radar. I would say we're even on a national radar. What is a community that is at this economy transition point do? What do we decide? Like we have an opportunity to say, we're going to go renewable. We're, we're going to, you know, we're going to skip the natural gas route. Um, we're going to do solar. We're going to do wind and a day like today, wind. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, would, it would power us for the next three months. <laughs> um, so, and, and as these technologies become increasingly 
cheaper, um, more widely manufactured in the United States. For a while, solar panels were just being made in bulk in China. And now, I mean, like Iowa is one of the leading producers of renewable energy and um, wind turbine technology. So everyone is going to find something to complain about. But I think they'll probably say that it's too expensive. Is a common Which, argument. Yeah, and if we're gonna, yeah, then we're we're back to talking about expenses in terms of dollars yeah. and cents. It's the short term. It's the same thing as going to Walmart and buying a coffee maker that lasts you a year, as opposed to throwing a I don't know, a couple twenty more down for one that'll last you the rest of your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's that immediate savings. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That I, I see that coming into play in a lot of people's decision making these days. Yeah. What's going to happen to that awesome area around Presque Isle where that current power plant is once it shuts down it's just going to just deteriorate and rust into the water or it, any ideas i mean uh, gosh yeah. a scary thought yeah that is, i mean that i mean is, i'm glad coal's not going to be burned there anymore i guess that helps the environment but that's a lot lot of industrial waste it is and there are a lot of variables at play that go straight back to the mining company that actually owns and operates that power plant so most of the power that is generated there goes to serve the mine and the mine execs have said we're we're at our last 10 years the mine's on its five way or out. 15 yeah that that we're we're done here so we don't need this energy anymore um there's already you know where like that little pond that that was a super fun site from the 70s i can't remember exactly but so it's like built on built on okay um but i think that's going to be really interesting if the mine says yes we're shutting down then they have to immediately take responsibility for reclamation which would be you know figuring out what to do with that industrial waste if they say well we're going to stay on backup for a while that gives them this carte blanche to just kind of leave it there until it just yeah and then it becomes the blight of the city or the county or someone else to deal with and that i mean that's just the travesty of corporations in this country in general and mining whatever that's a whole nother story but just that we allow these large organizations to do what they need to do and then not be immediately responsible for it yeah if it was a private homeowner we would you know we would be knocking on their door making them pay fines (laughs) um and clean it up but it's and so i think that part of the system is is got a break and change yeah. too well ho- i hope it does um you mentioned earlier about the the establishment in terms of environmental policy and everything being a white man's club has it been tough for you to to break in uh in a sense uh, are they welcome you and come on in here have a cigar you know or has it been an additional challenge being a woman and in, in this leadership role no that's an excellent question because it's it's n- they're not blind. Like that has definitely been something that I've recognized just early on, just working on my PhD, that it's always there. Gender is always at play. I think um, age is at play. I remember thinking, gosh, if I could just be older, if my no. hair would just go gray. <laughs> I would start dying it. Yeah. I'm like, I could get so much street cred <laughs> and, um, and really – I think that's actually benefited me that I've had to stand up, be more articulate, 
be more knowledgeable, have a larger research program. You come with your A game. Yeah, and say, okay, I'm not messing around. Right. Like I'm I'm legit. I've I've got contacts. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And and they take you seriously. Well, thank you so much for sharing some of your insight with us. The time just flew by and I this is a, definitely a discussion we, we need to continue. And um, so thank you for being our guest. Well, thank you, BJ. All right. And the discussion does continue with the Northern Climate Network, this campus-wide consortium that's not just for faculty, staff, and students, but the community members, where we can get together and discuss and learn about climate change in this pivotal region. Thanks to you for listening. Thank you, Jess. Over and out.